Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blenderhead, Blender HD on Twitter. I'm the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass teaching you about the ins and outs of the game theory of DFS. It applies to any sport. NBA is coming up right now, right? We got NFL closing down. MLB will be starting up. MMA is coming back. BGA. It applies to it all. It's the, it's the math. It's the, All you need is kind of high school math and learning the, the concepts of uh, how to play DFS, regardless is if you even if you even watch the games. And uh, I know Eric, you're you're a big NBA fan. Uh, do you, do you find it uh, do you find it abhorrent that uh, during NBA DFS season that outside of maybe like the late West Coast game or some island game that I'm I'm quite possibly uh, quote watching the games by the text play by play. Oh my God! Yes. What is wrong with you? Why? How, so you're the one sitting there. Like, are you sitting with your wife or something on the couch, and she's got like some movie or show on, and you're just like refresh, refresh. Uh, I'm typically in my office. I'm, I'm a lot of times. A lot of times, my my wife works at night, so I'm in my office. And uh, and like for baseball, see, so like for baseball, I could use MLB TV and then mm-hmm. put up like two browsers and have eight games going at once. But baseball is the type of sport where. Like, oh, there's my batter. Okay, I'm going to wait. Oh, what happened in this game? Basketball, things are going back and forth that I'm more right. likely to use, like, DK Live. And it just shows, mm-hmm. like, all the plays and all the points. And I just I just look at that and I go, okay, that guy hit a three. He's on it. Oh, he's the, oh, this small forward is really, you know, heating up in the first half. It's, like, maybe if if I'm stacking a game, if, like, I have very much interest in one game, maybe I'll put that on. And mm-hmm. then it comes down to like the late West Coast games. There's usually, you know, maybe one, two, one or two, yeah. right? And then that's when I go to the couch, you know, at ten o'clock, ten thirty, put on NBA TV or or NBA League Pass, and a, a lot of times I fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, I, well, I do think you know NBA is like DFS in general has gotten to where it's not like you really need to watch the games anyway with the projections and everything like that. But you know, NBA being the in theory, easiest to, to project. The projections are the most accurate um, within, you know, a set, a range that, you know, you don't, you don't really need to watch it. I'm just like a huge basketball fan. And I do actually think there are little things in NBA is so much more nuanced of a fantasy sport than anyone like ever gives it credit for. So I actually really enjoy watching. And like, it's kind of like when we talked about late swap to me, we talked about late swap being, Something that, what, one out of 20 times it works and it saves your bacon, you know, and, and you, you make money off of it or, or you win a tournament. It's so rare that it actually, like some, some suboptimal swap works. But like I've found over the years that watching, you just pick up on little, little things here and there that like maybe once a year, you know, twice a year, it pays off. You're like, they did that when... You know, when they played Giannis, they did this little thing and, you know, whatever, just little things that um, have helped me. You know, it's mostly meaningless. It's mostly just entertainment. But um, I picked is- that up. But, but no, no, I, I want to push back a little. I pick that up even on the text play by play of like yeah. who's in foul trouble. Oh, this guy mm-hmm. came out early and then they put in another guy. I'm like, oh, uh, and, and I just visualize the court and go, oh, they're probably just playing matchups. They're playing small now. 
because mm-hmm. the other team doesn't have their big center on the court. And and for all the the times that I miss that, a lot of times in the morning, like if I if I if I had no interest in a game or something, and some weird thing, you know, outlier score happens, like I'll just go into Court IQ, you know, a game flow yep. tracker, and just look and go like, what happened? You know, like if I didn't know that last night John Morant got injured. I'd be like, you know, why did Tyus Jones put up that big of a score? Like, I and I can visualize my head. This is what, without even looking, go. The only reason that this guy put up a big score is probably someone got injured or someone got hot or something like that. But then I could always just look at the game flow tracker and 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 see. It's like, oh, okay, that happened in that instance. And a lot of people that are game log watching, you know, they look at a game log and they go, oh, well, he got thirty eight minutes last last game. Or and the opposite way also, they look at the past two games. And it's like 24-24, and they're like, no, it's two blowouts. The guy didn't see the last seven minutes of the game. Like, that's a normally a 31-minute player. So, like, yeah, I I, do I have to watch the games to to know that? No, but I still have to to pay attention to some extent. Right. Same, same, definitely same concept. So, yeah, I don't don't know that you necessarily need to even watch the games, but there, there is so much of that, like, context and nuance to basketball because it's so different right there's rotations you know like the quarterback is on every uh, is in on every play for for an nfl team and and you know the wide receivers kind of typically are defenses you know are are pretty much the same there's so much of this additional context to to nba that i really enjoy like once we get to this time of the year nfl is winding down thank god uh, we get to NBA that I really start to like enjoy some of those little little nuanced things because I think the advantages in spotting where the field might be wrong about how they're thinking about somebody or where even early in the season where the logic behind the projections might be wrong. They might maybe they're just too low on a guy's rates or they're too low on a guy's minutes or whatever. There's more variance in that early. And you know, we're two months from now. Like everything's going to be pretty fine tuned, but right now, especially a little bit of just new sport, new season excitement, but I find it like more fun. Like I really enjoy like sitting down and like digging into a slate and looking at the rotations and looking at, uh, you know, why did this guy only play 21 minutes? Why did, why, you know, why did this, how the hell did this guy put up 40 fantasy points? You know, oh well maybe he was playing so-and-so, right? So like one little, another like little thing, understanding, listening to smart people, who know basketball or following basketball, like if a particular team, like the Heat were running a zone for like the, all of the playoffs, right? That changes things for how an offense is going to interact with that zone. The Bucks play a very interesting style of defense where they, they really protect the rim and give up three pointers. So like knowing those little things, like, oh, that's why, you know, Duncan Robinson hit eight threes, right? Because he's wide open all the time and he's an awesome shooter. But against somebody else, that might not matter. But his game log looks awesome. Cause he just scored 40 fantasy points. Just all those little contextual things early in the season. Um, I think are just fun, fun to talk about. And, and some of them are edges and some of them are meaningless, but trying to spot that I think is a, is a lot of fun to, to NBA. Right. I'm, I'm used to that in soccer, like where projections, like soccer projections are, are, are similar to like MMA or PGA type of projections where the median is not a great representation when, like yeah. most of the players, like their the goal and assist odds represent like thirty to forty percent of their projection, and that's mm-hmm. like a home run in baseball. Like, like either right. they hit one or they don't hit one. So you'll see a guy with a ten point median projection, and it's like they'll rarely get ten points. They'll get to get two, or they're gonna get fourteen. Yet another yeah. guy with a ten point projection is someone that doesn't score many goals, but 
gets a lot of crosses and a lot of free kicks and a lot of tackles. And so that's more reliable for cash games. But uh, the watching the games thing uh, compared to the projections are not, are not diametrically opposed to one another. I had this conversation in, uh, in Roto-Grinders discord, obviously when someone's like, oh, projections are worthless. I watch the games, you know, I have to come out and, I have to explain, like if they, it's typically from someone that doesn't un- understand what a projection model is. First off, you have to input things to begin with, right? <laughs> the projection model, all it's doing is saying based on your inputs and the and the variables that I'm that are predictive, like. But you have to give it minutes. If you're if you're allocating two hundred and forty minutes to a basketball game, you the. The modeling isn't going to do it. You have to do it. You have to put in and go, well, if uh, if so-and-so, like we always see, you you talked about it uh previous podcast about, you know, a guy that's normally playing on the second unit comes in and then plays on the first unit, like his usage rate goes down. You can't just take his second unit usage rate and superimpose it and, and its will on, on the first team. So you have to, you have to change this or whoever whoever's behind the projections that you use has to change this type of thing. And then, then you put in the minutes and the difference between all oh, I'm allocating minutes. So this guy gets 32. Well, that's kind of like his median. Like, it's not like, Oh, I, he's yep. going to get 32. It's like, no, well, he's going to get somewhere between 28 and 34. Right. Cause there are outcomes where it's a blowout. There's an outcome where he's shooting hot from the three point line. So the coach leaves him in for an extra two or three minutes. There's, there's, there's a lot of leeway, there and especially in basketball projections where you have a slate where you know there could be 20 players within you know a thousand dollar range of each other that project between three or four points of each other like one or two minutes could dramatically change if you ranked one to 20 in that range currently right now based on the median you could rank it one to 20 but you change one minute here and there and the whole the whole rank, you know, the first guy goes to fifth, the sixth guy goes to second, the twentieth guy goes to twelfth, and then once you factor in, you know, foul trouble uh, of a teammate, right? A high usage player gets into foul trouble, has to come out, then that guy gets the usage. There's a lot of variance in inside of a single basketball game, but over the course of 180 slates of a season, a, a, a full season of NBA, like if you if you were to to compare the accuracy of the model to the actual over the course of, of time, it's going to be more accurate than uh, an NFL model or an MLB model, yep. or that's what, that that's what makes it easier to model. But it also means that if, if you're dealing, playing against players that also have similar models that have some type of model, something that, that you're all kind of looking at the same things. Like you're like the yep. differences in cash games is a two V two. And the reason why you have one and the other guy has the other is because, uh, in your model, you gave a guy one more minute like that, like that, that right. could literally, that could be the difference of a two B two. It's just because of the fact of, Oh, uh, uh, Jimmy Butler's out. So I'm going to give Avery Bradley 26 minutes instead of 24. And then all of a sudden Avery Bradley is, you know, small forward eligible and ends up in, as part of your value play. While if you just had him for 24 minutes, some other guy at a slightly higher price would end up there and he'd have like a two V two. So it still comes down to the inputs. So if you're building your own model, you still have to wake up every morning and go, who's in, who's out? Where are these minutes being allocated? How how much usage do I have to change? Assist rates, rebound rates, right? You take you take a big guy off the court, people's rebounds rates go up. 
These are the things, these, I mean, these are the things like, like Cardi does for NFL for the Blitz all the time. Updates it throughout the week for Roto Grinders. I mean, the projections team updates the projections like 20 times a day, right? Here or there. New start, oh, this, oh, oh, this is the starting lineup for the Pistons. Oh, well, well, I didn't, we didn't expect Josh Jackson to start. We expect him to get usage in the second unit, which still made him a great value, but now it's going to change. Now Bay is starting, right? So now you have to move everything around with Blake Griffin out. So like at five o'clock, two hours before the slate, like your projection said one thing. And then all of a sudden, like now you get three minutes more here, three minutes less there, more usage there. And that's why, I mean, even uh, like Ricky D tweeted out yesterday that like he stopped playing NBA DFS because it just affected his life too much. And he valued he valued his time, his lifetime uh, mm-hmm. more than uh, squeezing out an edge in NBA DFS, which doesn't mean there's no edge in NBA DFS. It's just that you have to, you have to work a little bit harder at it and you, you have to be around, especially now where even FanDuel is late swap again. And FanDuel salary structure is as soft as it is. So, uh, I mean, if, if something happens after lock and, and you can get a guy that's like 3,000, 4,000 underpriced, and if you're not swapping, you're like you're you're losing so much EV by not doing so. So I I just I just wanted to highlight that you know people people listen and go I can't believe Jordan doesn't watch the games, and then <laughs> and they go I I I I trust Eric, and then there are some people that are more on my side going, dude, I haven't watched a game in seven years, and I made a million dollars playing DFS. Yeah, like it. You still you still have to know enough about what the the. The nuances of the sport. I call it the core comp, the core concepts of each sport. Yeah. So, like a lot of people, I want to get into this. I know we'll talk a little bit about football also, but this is a stream. This is whatever, whatever it is, because people think it's an NFL show only because we started it during NFL season. It's a DFS <laughs> right. show. It's not. It's it's whatever it is. As long as we're talking about the the game theory aspects, uh, that uh, for. NBA, people have been asking me so much because they're coming from NFL about correlations. Mm. And the fact that in NBA, and I keep on saying in NBA, the correlations are very weak. Like they're like, they're, they're so weak that, 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 that they should not be the focus. If you have those levers, projection, leverage, correlation, like correlation is the last lever. Like that's the one that's, that's kind of the tiebreaker type of lever. Projection is the first one in NBA by far. And then for GPPs, leverage becomes way more important than an NFL, way more important than an MLB. MLB, cor- the correlation lever is the one that you pull up, right? Because you're, you're stacking five players from a from a, a game and stuff like that. So people people are talking about like like well, who are who's possibly correlated to one another? It's like they, they're really for the almost no one, almost yeah. no one, right? <laughs> yeah. And but there are players that are negatively correlated to their salaries, so. To, to, to relate it back to NFL, we talk about like wide receivers on a team like Thielen and Jefferson, Godwin and Evans, uh, Julio and Ridley, like guys that are expensive and play together where it's very hard at their salaries. If you're 7K in NFL, you know, you want to kind of, you want a 30 plus point game out of them for like a GPP ceiling winning type of score. And unless the Falcons put up, you know, 50 points in a game, it's kind of hard for both Julio and Ridley to have 150 in two games, right? One of them will, and the other one will either dud or just have an average game. Just like 
You could have taken Devontae Parker instead. You could have taken like 20 other receivers yep. to get that score. So view NBA more similarly to that, where you have LeBron and AD, you have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and you have all, you know, Hard- well, not Harden and Westbrook anymore. Now you have Beal and Westbrook, uh, Harden and Wall. I will see how that shapes up. That when their <laughs> salaries are efficient, meaning neither of them is underpriced by any extent, like it's it's less probable. Doesn't mean it can't happen. It's less probable that they could both put up enough points to hit a target score in the same game. Now, once you once you what if you took uh, like Giannis and Middleton and you and you lowered Middleton's price to three thousand, well, his target score for three thousand is twenty five. So like like yeah, Middleton could put up twenty five while Giannis puts up seventy. But if Middleton's seventy five hundred and Giannis is twelve thousand, like it's quite likely, unless it's double overtime or something, that you're not going to see you're not going to see a winning GPP lineup that has both of them in there. It typically happens when you could start playing more players from a team is when one guy's out and the salaries start getting mm-hmm. so inefficient that you know we saw that last night. If you, if you're listening now, we're talking about the two the, the Monday five game slate where. Uh, Durant got rolled out, and then Kyrie got rolled out. So it's like, great, the two most expensive high-usage players from the Nets are gone. And everyone's still priced as if if they're in. So, like, when people are like... And Dinwiddie. And Dinwiddie got an ACL, right, and he's out for the right. So he's gone also. Three starters, three of their best players, yeah. Right, and we saw Blake Griffin uh, out earlier in the day. We saw Embiid get ruled out. Uh, that was the slate before, after Locke. Yeah. Like, you'll see these he, things. I wish he had played, so I didn't play right, Dwight Howard. Right, so I didn't Howard, play Dwight Howard, like of course. But I mean, I, 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 I got my cash games even with him, so it, it, it yeah. didn't matter. Uh, yeah. So just understand with the correlation, the correlation aspect of NBA, knowing the teams, just the basics, like that's, Eric, you know basketball like 10 times more than I do. Like you're talking about zone defenses and all that. Like I've 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 no idea about that stuff. Uh, I'm just relying on the math and over 180 slates. Mm-hmm. So like I don't yeah. I don't. To me, my edge is in my game theory, not in those types of things. Getting a projection more accurate is like I don't need the extra point five point. Like I'll get it elsewhere. Uh, but and I think it's not to not to not to. But I do think it's important. It is those little nuances are more about identifying. The wide the, the the wide ranges on the outside edges of of the range of a player's outcomes, right? If, uh, like I said, and I'm th- this is something I maybe get, and, and I'm watching the games anyway because I like the sport, so I'm not even like like going in like I'm gonna get you know like you described the guy. Oh, I I watch the game so I know better. Like I don't really think that, but I think I do just by knowing by by trying to study the sport because I like it. You can pick up a little bit. X guy, right? The seventh man might play in a certain matchup. He projects for 18 minutes, but you can identify on a slate, you know, not like yesterday where there's infinite value. Maybe it's a tougher slate, but you can identify based on things that you've seen in a given matchup or whatever that this player has a lot higher, you know, A, you think he might project for more minutes, maybe just because of the matchup he projects for 24, but he has upside to like, Maybe this game just goes totally small, right? You know, you see that with like the even the Nets before um, KD was playing some time at the five. You'll see the Heat go really small, you know, because they have Bam 
they'll, they'll, they'll go really small. You have a lot of these teams that do that. Obviously the Rockets, right? You know, the Rockets were the extreme example last year where they don't have anybody taller than six, six. So like figuring out who their opponent might play in order to match up can be uh, an advantage. So anyway, it's little things like that where maybe you're identifying a $4,000 guy that projects for 18 minutes and is useless, but it, you think, well, he act, there, there's actually upside here that he could like play some of the most minutes on the team given the matchup or, or whatever, you know? So it's just little, right. Little what what like you're, what you're saying is, is from a mathematical standpoint is that 18 yeah. points when you see, whether you see the 18 minutes, in your projections, that's the median. Like, that's not, I think he's going to get 18. It's that his median is 18, but it could be anywhere from 12 to 24. And you're like, well, based on the matchup, based on your basketball knowledge, you see that maybe maybe there's a, more of a chance, probability, that he's like, yep. that, that, he could, that, that the upper end could have, that that distribution is not necessarily a normal distribution. That his mm-hmm. median may be 18, but it leans... A lot of that curve leans towards times that he gets 24, but it also leans towards times that he may only get, you know, you may be completely wrong and then he only plays 14 minutes and you're like, wow, they decided to go big, not small. And uh, now I have a eight point snowflake in my lineup. (laughs) So, but the, but the, the, the payoff is great enough. You know, like you said, it, to me, it leans enough towards that towards that higher upside and the payoff is so great because no one is playing that guy and maybe sometimes they're playing the opposite end right i think you know i think the game is going to go small so the guard off the you know the the guard off the bench is going to get more time but they're playing the center right people are playing the the underpriced center or whatever so now i'm getting leverage and whatever it's just you know that's one really right what mathematically what you're doing is it you're increasing the variance of your lineup Yes. Right. I mean, that's what you're describing. You're describing a guy that has a wider, has a similar meeting, but a wider range of outcomes based on your basketball knowledge. And those core concepts of like knowing, uh, you know, you have two big guys up front. They're going to fight for rebounds. If one guy's out, the center's more likely to get more rebounds. You know, they're playing like, I'm not saying that I don't like when I say I don't watch the games, it's not like I don't understand like the core concepts that, yeah. of how basketball is played in the same way I understand how the core concepts of baseball is played or NFL is played. I mean, you take a look at what happened with the Cleveland Browns and, it, and it's like, <laughs> if you know football, like there, if you, if you didn't know football, you would think, Oh, all their receivers are out. So Marvin Hall is just going to act as Jarvis Landry. And you're like, well, no, in football, it's quite possible. Like you said, with that matchups oh. thing, that, Maybe they just run two, three tight ends and maybe they run Kareem Hunt a bunch. Maybe they don't trust these practice squad receivers and Austin Hooper and Harrison Bryant and Joku and Hunt actually see the targets and the wide receivers are just out there to kind of like stretch the coverage and and whatever. But like if you didn't know football, like you wouldn't have even considered that. You would have just gone, well, I'm just going to play Marvin Hall. I'm going to play Derek Willies wherever he was you know, available on FanDuel, but it, it it's very similar to basketball. So like, I, I just want to, I want to bridge the, the divide between the watch, the watch, the tape people and uh, who cares about the tape people. Like, like the projections are fragile. Like projections are, are the medians there. You know, you see the range of outcomes. I take a look at, at, at today's slate. I mean, there are some players that, you know, at the high end have a range of outcomes of 23 to 51. I mean, like, come on, 
Like, yeah, the median's 37, but it's 23 to 51. So uh, compared to their ownership, if you if you look at, uh, well, based on these rotations, like, is, is, is the 35 minutes in the projection, like, is that, is that more of a cap? Is he kind of, ca- like, is he, like, because there's sometimes uh, in NBA, you see people, uh, a guy will be out and uh, people will rush to play a guy that's already playing 36 minutes. Yep. And it's like his, his upside, I think of upside, you mentioned, you mentioned the minutes upside. I think of usage upside also. You have to think of either of those two. So, for instance, you were talking about a situation where a guy would normally, if this everyone was healthy and it was a normal game, a median game, would play 18 minutes, right? Would play in the second unit or whatever, yep. not close. Uh, but some guy is out. He may still be on the second unit, but the guy that's going to be putting in the starting unit is a high-usage player from the second unit. So now that 18-minute a guy probably doesn't see more than 18 minutes still. But now for the second unit, his usage may go from 19% to 26%. Maybe he has ball handling duties now. Maybe he ends up, even if he's not the point guard, maybe he's like, okay, well, since since this guy's going to be in the with the starters, this guy's going to be, you know, we, we saw with the DeLon Wright uh, yep. last night, right? Because pe- for the Pistons, uh, Blake, Blake and Rose were out. So no one knew what the starting lineup was until like 15 minutes before lock. <laughs> Uh, we expected Killian Hayes to start, but we didn't know who's going to play shooting guard because DeLon Wright plays shooting guard for the, the second unit with Derrick Rose. And DeLon Wright has a history with the Mavericks and other teams as being like a pseudo point guard. Like he he, he handles the ball. Mm-hmm. So people were debating if DeLon Wright starts, does that, that, dec- that actually decreases the value of Killian Hayes because they may just be with a rookie just have him kind of just play on the way play off ball. And although he was cheap, DeLon Wright was the better play. And then mm-hmm. J- Josh Jackson with DeLon Wright out of the second unit basically runs the second unit because no Rose and no Wright. But now everything flipped. So Jackson started, Bay started, Hayes started, and DeLon Wright was now the guy with, with no one in the second unit. So if you, like... How much basketball do I know? I barely know what these players look like. But like, <laughs> if you fo- if you're playing every day and you're following the rotations, even if you're just looking on a game flow tracker, you would you would you would see this type of stuff, and you go, okay, now that Josh Jackson's in the starting unit, I'm going to play him because now he has minutes upside, right? Because now he's with the starters. Delon yep. Wright probably lowers his minutes, but now has usage upside. In the second yep. unit, we see that with Terrence Ross or something. If Fournier's out and Ross comes in, like, yeah, he has minutes upside, but now he's fighting for usage with Gordon and Vucevic and and Fultz yep. and all those guys. So now you're looking like like who's in the second unit that that is going to now see increase use, no increased minutes, but increased usage. So, like, Eric, based on my description of of the account of like last night's Pistons game, uh. Would you say that I don't know anything about basketball? Yeah, it sounds like you know everything about like you. You know, you could go coach a little league team or something. You know, <laughs> no, um, I can't. I don't know the sets. What's horns? To, I always say, I always yeah. say the old school horn set. What does that mean? I don't. I don't know what. I don't know what horns is. It is also difficult. Uh, everybody calls outside of like a couple of really really old school plays. Uh, everybody calls things different. 
different. I know the pick stuff. and roll. Uh, I, I know that. Yeah, pick, I mean everybody runs everybody the runs high pick screen and, roll, and then like the then like the the uh, uh, like high school and college basketball like the, the God dating myself but everybody runs some version of a flex is like a, is a is a play that's what we ran when I was in high school is the most boring motion offense of all time um, but it still works and they like still like you go watch a duke or a unc or a michigan state game these guys will still run that uh, i know iso i know iso ball right 50 years yeah james harden just right i know james that's harden exactly what that is right <laughs> yeah but uh no i thought last night the pistons thing was is such a good example to to talk about because it was it's incredibly nuanced and understanding that team like you described it perfectly it, like it's it's understanding those players it's understanding you know the players that are out it's understanding what is ha- like what is happening to these lineups now like you said okay now delon wright is playing with svee mikhailuk and I, I isaiah stewart and you know these scrubs on the second unit so he's just going to do everything so even though his minutes projection his median minutes is now lower you know and his floor is probably lower um on on his minutes it's more than offset by the usage and one thing people don't take into account sometimes is it really doesn't matter if guys start or not like maybe for a true minute ceiling it matters like you you, you can't technically play well you're really you're really actually not even thinking about them starting like who closes the second and fourth quarter that's what exactly we we used to see like last year dennis Schroeder didn't start for the thunder and sometimes he would lead the team in minutes <laughs> because he would come off the bench six minutes in and he might not leave the floor the rest of the rest of the half. So it, people worry about starting too much. Um, and so like, you know, Delon Wright still could have played 36 minutes off the bench for all we know, you know, it's unlikely, but if he, like you said, if he closes the halves and like, he, you know, he didn't, but like he played so well on that second unit, it's very reasonable that he could close that he could close those halves and play maybe the most minutes on the team. So there's this all this context to that. And then you also have to understand like these players and and their role on teams. Josh Jackson is a very polarizing guy if you've played DF, NBA DFS for, for I've for I've, a while lo- I've lost a lot of slates with the six point yeah. Josh Jackson, chalk Josh Jackson. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah, done the chalk two for two for fifteen and probably four fouls in the first half. And yeah. So but if you know him, you know like it's not going to be for lack of opportunity and lack of shooting and lack of rebound. Like the guy does stuff when he's on the floor. We can say whatever we want about his real life NBA ability and his volatility, but like at cheap prices. And then you put him on this Pistons team with, he's starting with rookie Killian Hayes, who and I'm not going to you know get too nitty gritty on him, but he's, he's not quite ready to be like an NBA star. He's kind of a, you know, he's a young kid who's not ready yet. Sadiq Bay, another rookie who's just like a, three and D type guy. And then Jeremy Grant and, and, and Plumlee, that's like, who, somebody has to do something. And and now you're inserting this guy who that's the one thing he knows how to do is give me the ball and let me go be selfish and, you know, and chuck and rebound and all that kind of stuff. It's like, we sure it would have been nice for him to be on the second unit, but now he's just like a lock because it, it, he's now he could, he could play. What did he play? 35 minutes or something like that. You know, it's like, so like understanding all this, it was maybe better for Delon being on the second unit than being on the first unit. It was maybe better for Hayes. You know, we, I, I'm not sure what it was, which way it was better for Hayes, honestly, but it, Josh Jackson, we just needed the minutes. Like he was good either way. He was probably a lock either way, but like you give Josh Jackson 36 minute upside. It didn't really matter who he was. Right, It was 4,200. I mean like that's yeah, it doesn't matter. So like understanding all of that is very different 
from like the magic situation, right? Okay, even if we take out Aaron Gordon, like let's say we take out Aaron Gordon and they, they start Ross, or you take out Fournier and they start Ross. You're, you're, these guys are not playing next to Sadiq Bey and Killian Hayes. They're still playing next to Fultz and Vooch and whatever. And, and like there's only one ball to go around. And like and, and even if guys are at cheap prices, there's there's a lot more um, things you have to consider about about a situation like that. And I think people oftentimes, which we might, you know, not to get into like slate, like tonight's slate analysis type stuff, but we'll have guys out again. You know, like the Cavs are shorthanded. You'll get guys like Dante Exum, right, starting now. And it's like, oh, well, he's he's cheap. He did well. He did well last game. He's productive. Well, I don't know if he's productive on a per minute basis, but you insert him into the into the starting lineup, and it's like this is not a Josh Jackson situation. He like he's playing next to Andre Drummond and Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, and Larry Nance and whatever, like, is he even ever going to touch the ball? <laughs> you know, like, like you just have to be able to apply the context of, of each team and all of that, I think sometimes does get lost in projections. Um, no, well, no, no, no. I want to, I, I want to debate. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to say something about that. Cause that's what I okay. want. It, it does get reflected in projections. If, Obviously, all these things you have to consider if you're building your own model. But if, let's say, I use the, I use the Roto-Grinders projections. I'm very clear about that. I do look at projections around the industry also. Uh, I trust guys like Noto and Tuttle and Reeves and Allen and Jamino and all and Meansy. Like, they know more about basketball than I do. Just like I would trust you, Eric, to... Like, those assessments, I would trust you. So I want you to, to change the projections and the usage for that mm-hmm. for me and I trust the model but yeah. what what the model will not tell you because it's just showing you minutes and ranges of outcomes and medians is the negative correlations because in yeah. NBA you care more about the negative ones than the positive ones so in the example that you give where uh overpriced players depending if you don't want to play players that come out one for one for each other because basically you want the upside of one guy getting into foul trouble or not playing well, and then they just run with the other guy. So if there's a point guard backup, so like knowing the rotations, like this guy always comes in for that guy. Like you should probably, unless they're ridiculously underpriced, not play them together because like right. they will play 48 minutes combined. You don't know. It could be 36 and 12. It could be 24 <laughs> and 24. Like, you don't know. So typically, you don't want to play them together. You also don't want to play two high-usage players in the same unit when they're efficiently priced. So, like, yep. that's why I talk about, like, uh, 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 LeBron and AD, you know, those types of things. But in the, the Pistons example, uh, the way the way that they put the starting unit, like, I would be less inclined when the, Josh Jackson enters the starting lineup to play Killian Hayes and Josh Jackson together, right? Yep. Because now Josh Jackson's going to start grabbing the ball. Killian Hayes, he's going to tell the rookie, get the hell out of here, right? <laughs> and he's going to he's gonna go do all his stupid stuff that probably is not good for basketball, but good for fantasy. Uh, and then he, and then Plumlee, Plumlee will be fine. You know, like, Plum, like playing Jackson and Plumlee would be fine. Playing Killian and Plumlee would be fine. And then DeLon Wright is kind of out on an island where... If anything, DeLon Wright would come in uh, and close over Killian yeah. than Josh Jackson. So to me, I I wouldn't play Hayes and Killian together. I wouldn't play Jackson and Killian together. But I don't mind playing DeLon and, and Jackson together. 
And Plumlee exactly. is kind of out on an island also. So at his price, like I can play, I can play him with any of the guys because it's more rebounds and putbacks. And he was only like six thousand, so a double double, a good double double game gets him there. So like knowing the ro- like the projections already reflect the usage in the minutes if you're using a good model and good inputs, it's already doing that. But those things that I just said, like, well, when do you play guys together when you don't play guys together? Like that you have to you have to follow the teams a little bit. And when I say don't play them together, it doesn't mean that they both can't go off. If they're both 3K, you can play them. It's it all depending yeah. on the salary that they are. And uh, it just lowers their probability. It just, that's all it does. It's quite possible that I, that I could have played uh, all of them. Played four Pistons together at, you know, 4K to 5K. And the Pistons put up 120 points. And it's all through those guys. And they're all Flames. And they're all in the winning GPP lineup. <laughs> there's a probability for that. But there's also a probability of one having an average game and one having a great game. There's a probability they can, they get blown out and like none of them there none of them have a flame emoji. One has a snowflake. There are all these different types of outcomes. But thinking in terms of uh, if this guy does well, who does it negatively benefit? In NFL, we typically think the other way. Yeah. If this guy does well, if, if this receiver does well, then this quarterback did well. If this running back did well, if this defense did like those are positive correlations. In NBA, we think less in, well, if uh, Andre Drummond does well, does that mean Darius Garland did well? Like, it doesn't mean anything. It, like, that in and of itself, because Drummond could have 13 real-life points and 24 rebounds and five blocks. Like, it didn't even have anything to do with, like, the baskets yeah. that he put in. So, like, those types of correlations don't matter. It's more the fact of if if Drummond has a big game, it's less likely that Nance has a bit like it's less likely Nance has a double double if Drummond has a twenty twenty, right? Because there's only so many rebounds. So so you think of those things. Can Nance and Drummond both have a, a good game together even at efficient prices? Yes, it could happen. But it's less likely. The projections won't tell you those types of things uh necessarily. They'll tell you the medians and the ranges of outcomes, but just the basics. So like I'll come I'll come back. I, I just I want the validation. Eric, that even though I'm, I'm my number one answer to any NBA question is what do the projections say? And <laughs> I don't, and, and, Oh, I win at DFS NBA and I don't watch the games. Like I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a schmuck for thinking that like, uh, like, nope, names on a spreadsheet. I say these things as exaggerations to prove a point names right. on a spreadsheet numbers on a thing. Like, like for, for those, for those nuanced things, you could get away with not giving a shit about correlation in NBA. It's so weak that if you just said, oh, I'm just going to set some randomness and set some groups and, you know, exposures and, oh, I want to get a lot of, this guy's going to be low owned. I'm going to get 30% of that guy. You could probably still good build re- really good lineups and like never even give a crap about correlation. But especially Eric, if you're a, a hand builder, you're playing the, the high stakes, uh, smaller field contests, which and I, like just like in NFL, I play the large field, low stake stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm more likely to play sixty lineups than just two or three. But when you're building two or three lineups, one lineup, like you're thinking of these terms of, well, if uh, if the Brooklyn, you know, it, uh, Kyrie and Durant is out and Levert is chalk, and you're gonna play Levert, uh, it makes sense to like if 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 you're gonna have to choose between uh, SGA, Trey Young, or John Morant. Like, it makes more sense to play John Morant because John Morant's in the same game as Levert 
And if this game is close and goes over, like they're both they're both going to get max minutes. It makes less sense. Like if you fade Levert in the lineup, like it's less likely that you play Grizzlies in that lineup for the same yep. reason of like, well, if Levert doesn't get there as chalk, like it, it means that the game dudded. It means that that the that the Grizzlies blew him out, and even, the Grizzlies don't even play max minutes. So those it's, are the types actually, of things that you probably that I'm assuming you think of those types of things when you when you hand build your couple of lineups. Yeah, it's it's the it's it's one of my favorite things about NBA because it's actually so simple. And like if, if this were NFL, people like everybody would do this. But it's you know the the sport is everybody is so projection focused. And then <clears throat> especially last night, last night was one of the most interesting five game slates I think uh, I, I can remember. Um, just with all the different guys out and everything. And then you have the Harden, Harden and Christian Wood situation. And so it was like, there was just such a clear and obvious team, like on all sites, like kind of clear and obvious, maybe a 2v2 or whatever. Right. You also remember, uh, also, I just want to throw in, remember, we didn't have news whether or not LeBron was going to sit or not. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. So, so, so that's also uh, important. And I, that was I, a late game. So like, you had to like, like that was two hours later than the eight o'clock tip off. And you're like, should I, Plan for Dennis Roder teams, right. like in some way. So I played AD. So so I so you know, not to again get like too focused on one specific slate, but I think there were so many good examples of kind of some tournament tournament theories, and we can get into. You posted a tweet of what some of the the pro the pros did, and there's one um, that that I thought was really good. But anyway, so last night um, the concepts that you just talked about was exactly what what I did. So you had right. Basically, chalk, cheap nets plus Levert, chalk Pistons, but no one was playing Hawks, and no one was really playing Grizzlies on the other side because everyone was paying for James Harden, right, and Christian Wood. So, like everybody's lineup came with multiple nets, probably multiple Pistons, and then James Harden and Christian Wood, and maybe some sort of variation there. It's like you know that's what everybody's playing basically on both sides. Um, I don't know about Yahoo. You're playing, you're playing Yahoo, but it's probably, probably pretty similar. So th- that's where just the tiniest, simplest pivot where I do want to think about correlation, but it is, it is from the, you know, how, if, uh, the Pistons are going to play well and maybe speed this game up, right. That's kind of what, how, like the, the verbiage I will usually use when I'm correlating so- uh, opposing sides of a game, right. So if I'm playing multiple Pistons and on FanDuel I played three, I did I played Delon, Josh Jackson, and Plumley. Well, why would I pay it for Harden when I can play it for Trey Young? Because if all these Pistons are going to go off, like either they're trying to chase down because Trey Young, you know, and the Hawks are having a big game, or vice versa. Now maybe Trey has to play more minutes to try to catch up, or Trey's chucking threes at the end of the game because they're down, or like I said, he got them a lead by hitting by doing what Trey Young does sometimes. And people aren't paying for Trey because they're playing for James Harden. Same thing. If I'm playing these multiple nets and I'm playing Levert, why would I not play John Morant? Right? If John Morant goes for 40 points like he did on on opening night, you know that that that, that there's a benefit to you know like the correlation is small. It's very small, and I don't even think it mattered last night when we when we ended up seeing the results. So people would say, "Oh, see, didn't need didn't need any Grizzlies." Didn't well, I mean, come on, John got hops. injured. I mean, like, like yeah, a, I know. I mean, that's yeah, that's that a different brutal. story, also. That, yeah, that that was that was really brutal. But you know, but people will see the results and be like, "Yep, see projections, just just play the projections, crushed it." But 
um, for every time that, that that happened. But the other thing that was really interesting about last night is Harden and Christian Wood failed too. So um, Harden ended up being in winning lineups solely because of the raw points, because of raw uh, points and ownership. No. I mean, yeah, like Harden was so owned. LeBron was like two percent owned and put up more points yeah. by by yeah, one or I two know. or something. Yeah, and so like LeBron, you know, in theory is who you should have played paid for, but we didn't know, you know, we didn't know anything. So anyway, like that was like part of my strategy. I'm like, I'm playing all these same, you know, pretty chalky, cheap guys that everybody else is playing plus Karis Levert. So you have to do something to try to beat your opponents, right? You can't just, you can't just play one V one. Like, well, I mean, you can, I guess, but I I don't think that's a very smart path to winning is just playing one V ones or even like two V twos. So you just take a stand that, and to me, that stand last night, well, the easiest one for someone like me playing one or just a couple of teams was just basically going to these other unowned studs um, as opposed to James Harden. Um, I wasn't like opposed to Christian Wood, but I ended up I ended up pivoting off of Christian. Uh, I didn't have him anyway, but I, I ended up playing someone else um, over Christian Wood, Rudy Gobert. But it was the same concept. I'm just playing those guys, right? Playing Trey Young and John Morant and, and whoever over Harden and then playing someone like Rudy Gobert over over Christian Wood and it's like all you need is basically two guys to fail because all these 3k guys and Levert like you know they were their their ceiling probability was so high it 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 didn't matter that much but these like why can't Ja and and Trey Young and or whoever right Shea do you like Shea or do you like Donovan Mitchell or or whoever just name the list there was actually a ton of those guys last night that were like really good Lillard Lillard was there also McCollum I mean McCollum put up 50 plus you could wait out the the LeBron situation. You know, plug in AD or LeBron. I think LeBron was more. Plug in LeBron. If LeBron plays, you get like you said, you get LeBron at one percent sub one percent. You know, on a five game slate against one of the worst defenses in the NBA. Like there was a lot of really, you know, Jokic. Jokic was pretty was fairly was fairly low owned, and he was the one who who you know ended up uh, having the big game. But there were so many ways to do that. That I thought it was such an awesome tournament state. Like I didn't, I didn't win. I got dusted. I played, I mean, I played Jaw, so that didn't really matter. But there was so many really, it was such a fun tournament state, I thought, um, just because you could still build like seriously awesome teams. Like you didn't have to get really very fancy at all. You just had to make like, you know, a, like I said, a pivot just slightly down from from Harden, and you got these unowned, unowned studs, and that was you posted. Um, you know, on Twitter, what, what some of the pros did and, um, wakey wakey for anybody that doesn't know, um, he's a pretty aggressive tournament player. I really like the way that he plays, um, you know, very high variance, very, just yeah, understand very that like yeah. he, he wins on the slates where like, if, if everyone's tilting on Twitter off of, of all the chalk plays, wakey's, you can probably going to see his lineups at the top. Like, cause the other example that you give, like your the thinking of this is, this is, we're getting back into lineups, not players. Right, yeah. so you're playing Levert, Chalk Levert, but you're fading Chalk Harden. You could have gone the other way and said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna fade Chalk Levert, but because I'm fading a seventy plus for seventy five percent owned player, I could play Harden, I could play Wood, I could play Jokic. Now I have a three man kind of little game stack there on a five game slate, and then if Levert fails, I, I can't play the Grizzlies. Maybe, maybe Levert put doesn't fail." But the production goes elsewhere. So maybe you play Joe Harris instead right. of Levert, and then Morant still doesn't get there. So maybe you just play Joe Harris as a one-off. And like he's at 4,300, he's the one that puts up 40 points. Levert only puts up 35 or something. It's a low-scoring game. Or you just fade the game completely. 
But once you fade Levert, now you fade Levert, you play, you could play Chalk Harden, and then now you're just building your line. Now plug in the best plays. Now you're plugging in Josh Jackson. You're plugging in, you know, that for your type of contest, especially, Eric, like, like that's literally all you have to do. For me, I have to think a little bit, little bit more. It's a little bit more leverage. I mean, I have to go like, well, maybe I play Killian Hayes and, and, and Mason Plumley and no Josh Jackson and do, you know, yeah. maybe I play DeLon Wright as a one-off. Like, but what, once, once you get enough leverage, get to the point of getting enough leverage for the contest that you're in. This is why if, when I hand build an NBA, I start with that mindset. I start with how do I get leverage first, build the leverage. And then I have like five slots left and I'm like, okay, who are the best projected players? Like how do, yep. how do I match them in? How do I fit them in? I say, I, I could even do that with an optimizer. A lot of times I'm going, you know, on, on the slate that we're talking about, uh, if I if I decided to fade Levert and play Hardenwood Jokic, I would just X out. I would basically, I would I would play uh, X out every net but the Harris and all the all the Grizzlies, and then just plug in Harden Jokic Wood and press the optimize button and go. What's the best mini median lineup with this? What's their mm-hmm. What's the ownership sum? Which is just a blunt guideline, like not like I just want to see in comparison to other lineups. And if that looks good, then I play it. And there you go. Then if that has enough leverage for the contest that I'm in, like I'm going to play that lineup. And then I'm going to look, is there a combination of that? Like, let's say I'm playing 60 lineups and it's only a five game slate. So it's not like you have a million choices, right? (laughs) So I would set what I would do in the optimizer. Like I'm doing the same thing as you, Eric. Like we're we're both Mm -hmm. literally doing the same thing. I'm just using a a tool to look at things and you're just using your thumb to go like switch out this guy and this guy. And then, right, exactly. But you're still looking at projections and you're like, who are the top 10 projected players on the slate? Let me plug in my leverage. And then out of those 10 players, what are the combinations that I could fit into the Mm -hmm. rest of the spots? Well, I can use a tool to do that. So I'll set my like uniques to like one or to like two, right? And plug that in, X out the other game, except for Joe Harris, and then run 20 lineups and go, as long as there's a two V two on each lineup, let me take a look at all 20 of them. And then if I look and I go, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes that, that, that doesn't make sense. That makes sense that, uh, and, and you go, well, if I do these lineups, I'm going to have to play a lot of Josh Jackson. And then, then I have to decide. Then my second thing is how much risk profile on the slate in my 60 lineups. Do I want to rely on Josh Jackson? Like, so when people think in terms of exposures, don't think of exposures as a strategy. That's just the byproduct of your strategy. I know that if I'm going to make these Harden, Jokic, Wood lineups with without the Nets game, like I'm going to I'm going to need a small I, I need a small forward, right? Essentially, I need a small forward. Sure. That that's why. I, but that's the reason why I said Joe Harris because he's small forward eligible. Like I, I already knew that in the back of my mind of if Levert fails, maybe Harris succeeds, and at least he's small forward eligible, so I don't have to play a ton of yep. Josh Jackson. Because then I look at the small forward pool that's rest that's left there, and I don't see much. So it's like if I if I am going to use this strategy for my sixty lineups this late, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna have to play like eighty percent Josh Jackson. Like I'm gonna like yeah. it, it's it's going to be inevitable. Either that or I have to find a small forward that's worth playing in a lineup. So you know what I'll do then? I'll once I see that if I saw that, I would X out Josh Jackson and then run twenty lineups and go now. What do these look looks like if 
the highly projected Josh Jackson is in. And I look at them and I go, okay, they're not bad lineups, but how? what's their median in comparison to the Josh Jackson lineups? If I see that there's a very big gap, then I may decide to go, yeah, I guess I'm playing 80% Josh Jackson this late. I guess that's my risk this late and I'm willing to, mm-hmm. to eat it. Or if I see that the lineups are not all that different, if I see that that the top five Josh Jackson lineups like that are at X and the top five non-Josh Jackson lineups are X minus one point, maybe then I decide, okay, maybe maybe I split it. Maybe I have 40% Josh Jackson, 40% of whatever other small forward fits in that spot. Maybe I do 60-20. Maybe I do 70-10. At that point, it doesn't matter. At that point, I'm just assessing assessing my risk profile, my diversification for the slate, not, not a strategy. Because mm-hmm. the lineups in and of themselves, the difference between the Josh, the the difference between the the fourteenth best Josh Jackson lineup and the second best non Jackson John Jackson lineup is the same points. So to, and, and if it's the same ownership, it's it's essentially the same EV lineup, right? Lineups, not players. So you're building two or three lineups, five lineups, one lineup, depending on the day. Where it's, we're set, we're doing we're I always want to highlight we're doing. We do the same things. You may ballpark a lot of the, you know, you don't know that the median of one lineup is 284.61, right? But you know that it's around there because you're building players that are highly projected. So, like, you know that (laughs) I'm going to go down and pick guys that are projected for, like, 4.5x. It's like, if you're going to play one of those players, you're like, I have a a gut feeling on this guy that projects as the— as the 57th best play on the slate. <laughs> like, all you know in your head is that, well, if I'm going to play that guy at 1%, I need to jam in the best projected players in the rest of my lineup, or this median right. is going to be just too low for me to play. Right, exactly. And and like you said, we're definitely doing the exact same thing. And I, every, every slate is like a little bit different. Yesterday was so kind of uh, polarizing that on, on slates like that, um, like comparing to tonight, it might be a, a little bit different. You know, shorter slates, the leverage is even more is even more important. Like like true like specific uh, leverage points, you know, are even more important. Um, which like I brought up Wakey because I thought his strategy, like like I said, I, I kind of play similarly to to how he does. So he he xed out Harden and Christian Wood last night, which I thought, which I, that's what I did. My, you know, I only played a couple teams, but like that's what I did. You know, I specifically leveraged off of those two guys so I could do whatever I wanted. And that's pretty much what he did. He just bet it, bet on everyone else that's expensive and bet, uh, you know, beating those two guys and then, you know, play whoever you want. Uh, so that, you know, that is kind of my strategy. But what I will do on slates like last night where it's so clear cut, right? And the chalk is going to be so popular. So I'll build whether it's, you know, and, you know, you can do it in lineup HQ, you know, click, you know, run the optimal. Um, or I, I'll hand build it because I've looked at the projections and I just know, you know, you just know when all those nets are out, you know to plug in Karis Levert, right? You play this game long enough. You just know it's easy to click in, bang, 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 bang. Here's all the best plays. Um, and so, I, okay, I'm like, I got the cash team. or So I know basically what the cash team is. Um, like I can definitely build one of the most duplicated lineups, if not the most duplicated lineup on a slate like last night really easily, right? And then you look at it. I, I already kind of knew I wanted to leverage off of off of, of Harden, but you look at it and you're like, okay, this is, everybody's playing this. And then you start to assess it, right? Like you said, maybe it's the, okay, let's fade Karis Levert and do the, and do Joe Harris or do other nets, whatever. Um, maybe it's that, or maybe it's like what, what I did where it's like, okay, if everybody's going to pay up for Harden, 
well, I can just I can just add a couple quick correlations with the the unknown studs from the games I'm already playing. You know, there's it's but looking at that, like I find it helpful to like um, specifically on really on slates like last night where it's like the chalk is seriously so absurd. Plug in that optimal and just like look at it for just you know, sit there in silence, right, for a second and meditate on that lineup. Just be like, hmm. Where, what's the best way to leverage this? You know, for like a hand builder like me, it's, I'm, it's definitely important for every single DFS player, but you know, I have to, like, I'm only doing it once, right? I have to pick the one, the one thing, um, you know, in your 60 lineups, you might, you know, I don't know how you, exactly you, you handle it. If you would do both, you know, okay, I'm going to leverage off of Harden and Wood in 20. I'm going to leverage off of Josh Jackson in 20 and I'm going to leverage up, right? But you can, you have the ability to do that in multiple lineups. Me, I'm like, I really have to sit there and think. And that's what I spend the majority of my time. Like, I, I know who the best plays are, right? We all know who the best plays are. Look at the projections. But being thoughtful about, okay, what's the best way for me to be in these smaller fields against Wakey and Empire Maker and Petty and all these guys, you know, all the best players in the world, what are they going to be doing? What's the best way for me to beat them? What leverage point? Um, and be thoughtful about that. And, and, you know, and I, so I came for me, you know, it just happened to be last night that I thought that that decision was, was James Harden. And, and tonight, who knows what it'll be and tomorrow, who knows what it'll be. But that's like a process that I found that, that really, really, um, helps me, uh, make strong, really, like seriously, really strong tournament teams just about every night, um, without like people just start clicking shit in, right? Like, like we talk about hand builders and I think, like some people like it gets a bad connotation because it's like oh just pull up pull up my phone and just start clicking in my favorite plays but like if you don't start with some foundation um of a, like you said a strategy for that slate like you have to develop a strategy for that slate um and and people will just start with oh hmm if so-and-so's out okay let me click this guy in. oh i like zion tonight oh click zion in. oh i like so and so click that guy in and the next thing you know you just got this jumbled mess of a lineup there's no strategy you just clicked in some buttons um so i think it's really important just this whole conversation last night's slate was seriously so so polarizing from a strategy perspective that but it's such a good one to highlight kind of how you should go about nba dfs tournaments i think and that's why i find nba dfs to be exciting I mean, yeah. to me, to me, I like the. I compared it to uh, like being an air traffic controller. Like you know, it fit like out of all the DFS type of sports, it's it's the type of thing where, I mean, yes, you don't have people's lives at the balance on a screen or whatever, but <laughs> but imagine being at LaGuardia Airport with you know seven hundred flights coming in, you know, in and out over a three hour period, and you're like, well, I got to move this there, I got to move. Oh, this guy's out and whatever, and then then every time a bit of news happens, could change the outlook. Of like, well, now that this value guard is going to be chalk, now it's now the construction's old. Now, now people are going to yep. pay up for this guy, and now now the the mid range small forwards are going to be low owned. Like, but an hour ago, you would have thought something completely differently because the news changed so much. So you take a look at like ownership projections, you take a look at the constructions that that are possible, and you go, well, I know what the chalk construction is. You could even just go from, I know what the chalk construction is. How do I get a different construction? Everyone's paying down at center. I'm paying up at center. Yeah. And then then that's it. But uh, the point that I, I make a lot, because uh, people poo-poo cash games, right? Like, you don't really play cash games. I, pl- I play cash I, games. I have been I have been uh, on FanDuel. Uh, I, I have started. I have started playing cash games, and that has been 
that has been good and actually fun. I've actually I've enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Well, so when you I win, will. of course it's fun. Yeah, that's true. That's true. If I was getting my ass kicked every night, yeah, I would probably I probably would have quit by now. But but, but um, I was saying I, I do enjoy it. Uh, obviously, uh, if if you're if January fourth next Monday, I start the DFS pregame show Monday through Friday. 11 a.m. on the Roto-Grinders YouTube channel, on Roto-Grinders on the site, on whatever in the app. Uh, so we'll be talking about NBA and whatever, and then MLB and what, whatever. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, it's a teaching show and a review show. Uh, and I'll be share. I, I have a document. I tweeted it out that I'm tracking my actual cash play publicly on FanDuel, uh, DraftKings, and Yahoo. Uh, so you could just take a look. I mean, just... Show how how a cash player would play. Not the lineups, but allocation. I'm playing, I started with my bankroll of 20,000, which is like 10% of my actual bankroll. So like, that's my, like if you had 20,000, you pay 10% a day. You paid about a half in head-to-heads, 40 something percent in double ups, 10% in triple ups to three mans. Like this is what would, I, like, okay, well my bankroll's at 23,000. So now I'm playing 2,300 today. How am I splitting it between the sites? And like, and then the results, and then like I oh, lost this, lost that, you know, won this, and tallies it all up. But even if you don't play cash games, if you're not interested, if you don't know, if you can't build a good cash lineup, you can't possibly understand like what the field is going to do in GPPs. So like if if you don't have projections and go, well, these are the quote best plays. It's not hard to figure out. Uh, and you go, okay, well, based on this, this is what a lot of lineups are going to look like. And then, yeah, you're not playing double up. Yeah, this would be a great double up lineup. But if you don't want to play double ups, like you need to know that in order to go, well, I'm going to leverage off a Levert. I'm going to leverage off a Harden. I'm going to, I'm going to flip the construction. I'm going to, but there are a lot of people out there. I mean, this is the people that we make money off of uh, that, you know, if, if you're going, if, if you're going in to us, I, I always say this, Eric, if you, if you go into a slate, and the slate locks, and you pull up ownership in your GPP, and you see a guy that's like 45% owned on a, like a 10-game slate, and you're like, I didn't even consider that guy, uh, then you're, you're not judging the slate properly. And the same thing is if if you if you played five lineups and you jammed in this one great, oh, this, I got to play this. This is the best play on the slate. By far, hands down, lock of the day, pick of the week, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Uh and you put plug him in all the lineups, and he ends up being one point two percent owned. Like you fucked up. Like then he he wasn't the best. Play. It doesn't matter. He could put up seventy points. That would be an outlier. Great, you're a fortune teller. You feel free to post your screenshots. Uh, like like you could. The market is going to be reasonably enough efficient that that in GPPs, especially at the higher stakes, that. Like there's no guy that like is the best play and in, in your contest, Eric, end up being four percent owned. No, no. Uh, uh, can can I can I take one one caveat? Chris Uh-oh. Godwin last year against Chris Godwin last year against the Rams was one percent at high stakes, but he was questionable and and, and like we didn't know if you we didn't. Okay. It was an well, that was just game. same for we LeBron last night. He, same. I mean, yeah. The, I'm talking about just in general. I've like. Like the concept is, is that if you're, if you're complete on a night to night basis, if you're completely confused by why players are certain owned in contests, that means you haven't, you haven't done the basic stuff of like identifying inefficiently priced players and stuff like that, but what, which projections are going to tell you. So like, like if you can either, people do that by eye, you don't need projections. I mean, like I could just go into a slate 
on FanDuel and go, why is Dylan Brooks 3,700? Like, I mean, like, yeah, like, like, right, like right. I, I don't need, I don't need projections for that. Like I could just look and go, go, why does a guy that plays 36 minutes with that usage is priced like a, like a bench player? Like, <laughs> like this guy should be 6,000. Like what, 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 yep. what gives FanDuel? Like I didn't need, I, I, I put him in my lineup before I, I do my dummy lineups like the night before. And I'm just going, oh, who's out tomorrow? This guy, uh, and I just put together something, just like like just yep. so I an overview. This guy seems too cheap for this guy being out and whatever. And then by the next morning, I look at the projection and go, okay, I was close, but I didn't realize this and that and whatever. But like you could do that without projections. But if you can't even do that without project, I mean now now you're dead, right? Like you you, yeah. you could just use the projections and not know anything, and that's fine. Or you can know enough to identify inefficiently priced players, which a lot of high stakes cash players do i mean like it's not it's not a it's especially in nba dfs with all the news that comes out it's it's if if you're good it's like identifying underpriced stocks it's like identify you know go to go to the grocery store and go well oranges shouldn't be that cheap i mean like like it's it's some of it is a little bit of just experience and common sense but either you're doing that or you're using projections but if you can't identify the cash lineup or a cash lineup or potential 10 potential cash lineups like i it's hard to be good at gpps because you you at that point you're just throwing darts you can't have a strategy without being able to gauge what the market is doing exactly and that so anytime like you know i'm not out here handing out advice a lot or anything like that but when people will um so like i have some buddies who casually play dfs um have started to play a lot more nfl and got a lot better at nfl but like one of the biggest things that I'll tell anybody, including that, who are trying to play it a little bit more serious, you know, because like you say all the time, right, we're in this to make money and they want to make money at this, not just have a lottery ticket on a Sunday. Um, but it, it's maybe even more true for NBA. If, if Spend time like figuring out how to build that cash game lineup like on it on every slate. So if you want to play cash games, play cash games, whatever. But until you can do that, like I really do believe like what what you said, like I, I really want to highlight it, like just reiterate it. Like until you can build or at least get very, very close to building that optimal lineup without really trying, um uh, you're 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 probably wasting some money in in tournaments. Like you said, because if you're opening things like you're you know, the, the slate locks and you're like, hmm, I loved I thought Joel Embiid was a lock today and he's three percent. Right. And you're like, yeah, you, you probably fucked this slate up. You probably are not winning anything. Right. I mean, you um, could, you could, you, I mean, if you, you thought you could, right. If you, it, it, that's, I want to highlight the fact that it's different than saying, uh, I know Joel Embiid's going to be low owned. So I'm going to play him as leverage yep. in case he has right. an outlaw in, in case he hits a ceiling. Cause you're planning that to be like, you're planning a 3% owned Embiid in your lineup and then building out the best plays from there type of thing it's different than going into a slate i mean this is the same thing with my fucking leverage questions on the nfl that i stopped doing because i just got i like how easy can i make it where i i say here the here the and it's always like who's the highest owned guy who's like I, so the three questions are take the three highest owned players that are going to be on the slate which i could identify in a half a second and then who's the negatively correlated player to them? And like, like they, they go like, oh, David Montgomery is going to be popular. So Alan Robinson is leveraged. So I mean, like it's, this isn't complicated, but a lot of times I would get responses back 
of it has to be this guy because of this. And their answer is like, it, it's going to be, it's going to be Tyler Boyd. Cause it, it's going to be uh Tyler Boyd. Cause T Higgins is going to be 30% owned. I mean, yet yeah, last lady was, but on a, on a slate where he's going to be 6%. And I go, why is T why? Right. Oh, it, it's definitely CeeDee lamb. Cause Amari Cooper is going to be 30% owned. Like where are you getting 30% from? Amari Cooper is going to be like 6% owned. Like what, what are you like? You're complete. Yes. You're right. If Amari Cooper was 30% owned, CeeDee Lamb would be leveraged. You get the concept. Way to go, guy. Like, you, like I, I, no problem. You seem to get the concept of leverage. Sure. But you completely misjudged ownership. So you getting getting leverage off of a 6% owned guy to a 2% owned guy is not... <laughs> what does that do? Like, if you don't... if you that you're They're going into the slate going, why is David Montgomery 40% owned? Going, I don't... I don't like, how, how did you not realize that? Like you may think that that would be a good w- way to get different and go. I'm going to fade Montgomery for leverage. Fine, but you have to know that beforehand. You can't just go in with the three percent own and bead and go. Well, I, well, now I have a I, my the ownership. Some of my lineup now is like fucking fifty eight or something because like you expected a forty percent own and bead. It's like well now now you have now your media projection is like fucking thirty points below optimal and. Like, yeah, you may get lucky. Yeah, it could happen. Yeah, but like right. as a long-term strategy, it's it's negative EV. Yeah, um, that's that's just like the thing. That, and I, I didn't even really use to do this. So like uh, it's been a growth in my NBA game. I would say like two years ago, uh, I was probably pretty bad at, at, at NBA. I think I started like everybody else did doing this, playing the best plays because – you know, owner, like the game was so, so, so no game, I think, has changed more than NBA DFS. Um, all the DFS sports have changed a lot, but not, nothing has changed more than NBA DFS over the last, you know, say five years or whatever. So you could just play the best plays, right? Like last night, you could have just cleaned up three, five, three to five years ago because the field didn't didn't understand that all these 3K guys were good plays. And Karis LeVert would be like. 40%, not right. 80%. Imagine TLC, yeah. TLC would have came in at like 4% ownership for no, yeah, exactly. Like, who the hell is Timothy Luau Cabarro and why, yeah, why did you play him? Yeah, he'd be like 5% or whatever. You know, you just could have cleaned up. And now, obviously, those guys are all extremely, extremely high owned. But I think that has made, you know, it's kind of like adapt or die type thing, right? You don't see a lot, and I'm not trying to throw shade, but you don't see a lot of the people who were really, really successful NBA DFS players five, 10 years ago out there printing money still in NBA DFS because the game is, is, has evolved a lot. Is, isn't that the wanna... joke? Isn't, I mean, that, that, that's where the joke comes from, right, Eric? Oh yeah. Nobody loses at NBA DFS, right? That, I mean, but I'm, I'm being serious. That's literally where the joke, like that was a joke before I started playing. Like I, like when I started playing in 2015, I didn't even start playing NBA DFS until 2017, but I was on Twitter and stuff because I was playing soccer DFS and I was still following people. I subscribed to Roto Grinders and stuff because then I got into baseball and I got to NBA eventually. But like that was the joke even when I like in 2015 of like like oh you're playing soccer DFS why don't you play NBA no one no no one loses at NBA DFS and I'm like I hate basketball why do I want to play it right <laughs> like that was my attitude for two years. Uh, but 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 Eric but that is where. It comes from that because of the low variance and the high projectability of basketball that back in 2013, like Karis Levert would be 40% owned, which would still be the highest owned player on the slate. But like 60% of the field would not, you'd still have 3% ownership on Kyrie Irving 
in yeah. you'd still yep. have two percent ownership in in Durant in in a GPP, even if they're they're out. You'd have one percent ownership in Blake Griffin. Josh Jackson would have been six percent owned, right? Delon Wright would have been four percent, like on a five game slate because people are like, no, who who are the names that I know and and I and they didn't and the casual people, even the casual people that played regularly, didn't really have and either they didn't think about it hard enough or didn't have access to tools that would that would tell them that when this guy is out, this guy is God, right? Or where this guy is three thousand right. underpriced. So, like, the people that knew, like, just simply, like, the, just knowing basketball, like, that's all you need to know. That, that, that whole analysis I did with the Pistons earlier, like, if you knew that in 2013, you made a lot of money. Now the projections yep. already reflect that. So, like, that, in and of themselves, that's not going to that, do much for you. Now you have to learn how to build plus EV lineups in a game environment where, every, where most of the field knows that information. And if you didn't, if you didn't evolve to that, you're probably sitting, you know, uh, in GPPs going, why haven't I won in so long? Yep, exactly. It's funny. Uh, looking back, uh, the first ever GPP I won was an NBA. I, I don't know if you were, if you were playing this maybe five years ago, I can't even remember how long ago it was. They, they used to have the $3 sharpshooter was what it was called. It was all, it was called the sharpshooter for the longest time. And they, they did away with it. Now, you know, now they rename the, the tournaments every day and it, it's miserable. But, uh, this is, I played like the large, small, the low dollar, you know, I didn't have a big bankroll back then, but like the low dollar, uh, big field stuff. And it, it, it like what you're describing is exactly how, how it was like you, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I started to figure out a little bit of like, okay, if X guy is out, this guy is, is good. And I was paying attention up until lock and, and swapping when I needed to swap. And that was enough for, for a guy who really wasn't even probably building very good teams um, to be able to just crush at, at NBA DFS. And the thing about it now is that I don't want to say the majority of the field is not, um, you know, playing tournaments correctly but there's such that there, there's still it's so easy to make like you know the optimal lineups or like slight pivots off the optimal lineups and just like mass enter that play one team or a couple of teams and enter it in, into everything and realize your your uh expected value over a large sample of nba like if you're just one of the best nba players these guys are just playing uh, like, you know, we talk about what like Empire will do in in sport. He plays his one team. He puts it in everything and he just realizes his edge over a long over over a huge sample and millions of dollars entered. Right. And there's other people that do that. So, um, you know, in, in the large field, low dollar, it's a little bit different. But the, the more you get into smaller fields, the more you get into single entries, the more you move up in stakes, uh, people are playing much you, the, the more you move up in stakes and the smaller the field gets, the closer to the optimal everybody's team gets. Right. So like that, that's, it just starts so the to more, close. the more opportunity you have to leverage that. I mean, that, exactly. I mean, it's, a, we, it, it's kind of weird. People, people are, are listening now that may have been playing NFL DFS and maybe they haven't played NBA DFS. Maybe this will convince them to play NBA DFS. I talked to people in the Roto-Grinders Discord that are moving over from NFL, never played NBA. They look at and they go, I haven't followed the NBA in years. I don't know who DeBontis Sabonis is. I know his father or something, right? Like that type of thing. And 
They've been playing for five days, and they're applying the same concepts from the course, the 15-hour audio DFS master course at, at, at theoryofdfs.com, and they're, they're doing, like, we're, we're talking, we're literally talking about the, the same thing we talked about in NFL, right? I mean, like, the, the, you're saying, well, this is, in the small field contests, the ownership gets condensed so that the leverage available is massive, so... If you could leverage in one or two spots and then just jam the optimal from there, like that could win the game changer or whatever it's called, or you know, a two hundred person contest because that lineup is not is only two points, three points off the median optimal, and it has like three times less ownership, and like from an EV perspective, yeah, you're not going to min cash as often. You're if you, if 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 your lineup yep. loses, it'll probably come in very bottom or close to the yep. bottom, but. If that chalk fails, like you have a good sh- you have a good shot at a fifty to one hundred k payday that slate. And if you're playing one hundred and eighty slates, it's not like NFL. You're playing sixteen, seventeen, eighteen slates. You're gonna lose ninety percent of the time. But if you could, you get you get one or two like top three finishes in in those contests for your. I mean, we're ta- Eric. We 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 go back to October like. We've mentioned on multiple podcasts about small field versus large field differences, and it's no different in NBA than it is in NFL. I mean, you, you're you're stating the same exact thing you do in NFL. Strategically, yep. you're doing an NBA, and then when we get to baseball, right? April, May comes around. We'll be talking about well, everyone's going to play this pitcher, these two pitcher combinations. So I'm going to fade that pitcher, and I'm going to stack against the SP two. And it's like, do I even know the players' names? No, but that, like, that in and of itself, <laughs> when Pablo Lopez at sixty eight hundred is chalk because there's no value at pitcher, it's like, well, I'm going to play the Reds against him because they're in, you know, they're they're in Cincinnati and it's a ban- you know, it's a home run ballpark. I hope he fails. And like, like it's it's DFS is DFS is DFS. I know it's yep. uh, people don't understand it. It it's weird to say. I think. Would you agree with me? that most people that play DFS regularly slash casually, so just like the average DFS player, while the game theory of DFS can be complicated for those that are not used to it, like it's not, more, it, you don't need more than high school math. The The concepts that are talked about in on this podcast and in the course are not like highly advanced, Right. If you play games, if you played poker, you you get it. But do you find, do you agree with me that the most average DFS players actually overcomplicate how they play versus versus what we're talking about? Actually, it sounds more complicated, but actually, it's more simplified. A hundred percent. It is. It is. The, the difference between simple and easy, I think, is what people people screw up, right? It is actually unbelievably simple. But it, very it hard. Like, it's very it's simple but hard instead of being yes. complicated and easy. It's kind of weird to yes. say that. Yep, exactly. That, that is exactly it. So people screw it up because they're like, I get it, right? I need – I need leverage. I, I can't play all the chalk. I can blah, blah, blah. They, they know like the step by, they know all the levers, right? We've gotten to the point now in 20, almost 2021 that if you pay attention even a little bit and play DFS, you know all those levers. But putting those levers into practice, especially with NBA here now, right? NFL, we, we have a whole week to think about it. 
and play around with teams and listen to other people talk. And it, it's, you, you get time to let it, you know, fester over the week and figure out your strategy. NBA, it's like, dude, the slate ends at midnight and you got 16 hours, you know, <laughs> to figure this shit out. And you're probably going to get three bombs dropped on you during that, during that time. And one of those bombs is probably going to come 10 minutes before lock, <laughs> you know? So like, it's not, it's, it's, it's already hard because it's a quick turnaround and, um, NBA is a little bit more nuanced, like kind of like we talked about at the beginning. It's a little more nuanced than people think. And then you just like, okay, I got, you know, I got 15 minutes to totally figure this whole thing out again now, you know, and that's what happened like yesterday. So you have to, you have to be able to, you know, think quick on your feet, but the concept is so unbelievably simple that people, um, definitely overcomplicate it and try to, uh, whether it's, uh, get too much leverage, whether it's play way too wild of plays, whatever. Uh, but people, people, that's the hardest part. And I mean, it happens to me too. I do it too. I, 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 I screw these things up uh, plenty of times. I'll do it. I might do it tonight. I'll do it. It, it, it happens. But, um, I think if you understand like the goal, you know, you're, you're just going to get better at practice. And I do think if anybody's trying to play DFS, um, whether it's you're trying to play NBA or not, seriously, playing NBA will really help you. Play, NBA and MLB will help you the most because it's every single day. You're going to have to continue to make those repetitive decisions every single day. You're going to screw it up plenty, but every single day you got to do it. And there's multiple slates. If you want to play multiple slates, you know, there's turbos and late night slates and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and NBA will specifically make you think quick on your feet. MLB does a little bit too with lineups coming out. You know, you, you might have to change things when you start to see lineups. So you're constantly having to think through all these decisions over and over and over. And, and um, um, I think it's, I think it's actually like a really good exercise for anybody, you know, just play, play the quarter arcade. If you're, if you don't feel comfortable or whatever, play, play, you know, there's plenty of contests out there for anybody, but I do think like, continuing to study these slates and figure out like attack how each one what's the strategy for this one what's the strategy for this one uh nba is such a great tool for that and also the strategies there could be a hundred of them I yeah mean, that that's right, that right i mean that like i i study players you talk about wakey wakey and you go okay he decided on this this super leverage and then i look at brick i look at brian hooper and i go well, he kind of played this, but I saw how he managed. He got he got some double center lineups in that and people weren't playing. And then I then I look at I look at uh, I look at Dink and I go, okay, he went heavy on that game, right? He played a lot of like two one type of lineups from this game. Okay, I, I get that. I, I get those types of lineups, and and I didn't I chose to do a different thing, but I get those lineups. If I ran them through my projections, like the medians of those lineups and the medians of my lineups are are not really dramatically off. The ownerships of my lineups and those lineups are not that dramatically off. So like the EV of each of them is 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 about the same. And your goal in GPPs is just to build higher EV lineups than your opponents. So uh, the the contest that you play, so, so people talk about uh, like your contest, because uh, I also had conversations in the, in the Roto-Grinders Discord. There's some people that are transitioning more into the single entry three max the higher dollar stuff, maybe not as high as you play, but the, the power sweep level, the hundred dollar, mm-hmm. the $400 type of thing. There's a thousand people in the field, 800 people in the field, entries in the field, that type of thing. And they go, Oh, I've had so much more, more fun and success because I don't feel like I need to get the, 
you know, the, the really weird guys, because to beat a hundred thousand people is like, sometimes you, sometimes you need to find those guys and, and, and get those, uh, you don't have to get super leveraged. It's like, Oh, I could, I could kind of do what you do, Eric, and just find a two V two pivot, you know, get leverage, go flip a construction and still kind of jam in some of the best plays. And, uh, the difference is, is that in those fields, the, the, the opponent level is so much higher. So yeah. think if we, if we could put a number on EV on a lineup, so let's say 1.2, which means you stand to gain 20% on that lineup over a course of a million. And obviously a lot of that 20% is in win equity, right? Yes. Like a lot of it in GPPs, like all, most of that EV is coming in, winning one of the top spots. Uh, so in the, a lineup of 1.2, maybe let's say the average at your, at your, uh, contests. Right. But the EV, the, if we could put a number on it, the EV in the large field could be 0.88, right? So like my, my 1.12 lineups are plus EV in large field GPPs. Yet if I played that type of lineup in your contest, I'd actually be losing money, right? Mm-hmm. So it, like my equity would actually be negative. So because only because in those contests, people are building better lineups on average. But of course, you're only playing against 800 of them. So your probability of winning, just if everything was equal, is going to be higher. Because, I mean, it's the same thing as playing poker against, you know, you could play poker against the nine worst opponents in the world. And you don't have to be that good of a poker player, right? You just, I, my, 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 my nice little 1.12 EV lineup at a, at, in a contest of 10 people that are building lineups with uh, Kyrie Irving. And it's still like, like, I don't, that's all I need. I just have to be better than average plus the rake. But in the small field stuff, it's like when you compete in, especially in like the multi-entry, like the mid stakes, 68 max or whatever it is, sometimes yeah. 16 max and like the, whatever, like those 16 lineups are all going to be high equity lineups. Like the 16 that Chipotle is putting in is going to be high equity. Line- like you're not getting a six. Um, you're not getting the onesies and twosies from some Joe Schmo on the couch. Mostly you're getting, you're getting quality lineups, which means the min cash line goes up. The winning yep. score goes down because there's only 800 people in the contest. So when, when the 1% owned player, you know, puts up 50, 50 points, in your, in your contest, Eric, a lot of times you're not even sweating it. You're like, like you'll check this, you'll check the first place lineup and go, did anyone happen to play that guy? And it's quite possible that the because he's he's one percent owned in the large field GPP, he could be like only in two out of eight hundred lineups in your contest. <laughs> and if you missed on any other player in that lineup, like it didn't matter that you got that guy because you ain't winning first with it. So you're not sweating. I do the same thing in soccer. Like I'll play the small field hundred man, hundred and thirty man GPPs, and some center back, some twenty six hundred dollars center back for an underdog team. That in the in the four thousand person contest, there's going to be someone with him, and goals matter so much in scoring for soccer because you know you could win a GPP with a hundred points, so like twelve points matters a lot. So a lot of times in in the in the in the hundred thirty man contest, like like that dude that dude is literally unknown. Like it's yeah. like that. Like it's not like one guy. Like no one does. So it's like yeah. In order to win the large field, you're probably going to need that guy. But in the small field, you don't. So, uh, it's not a matter of the field size. That's why 
I know I'm accepting high variance playing large field contests, but I still believe that that EV-wise, over a long period of time, I, I make more money off of playing against the worst opponents that I could find versus trying to leverage against the best opponents, which they could still, you could, you could still make money that way. But it's it's not one of those things where where oh I'm only going to play a single entry three x three max. It's not better. Like there's no like people ask me what's the best contest to play. Like there's no an- yeah. there's no answer to that. There's no answer to that question. Like in general, find the weakest opponents you possibly can. Like that you can never go wrong by just finding someone that's worse than you at this game. If you could play them head to head for a thousand dollars a day. Like I wouldn't even bother playing any of the other contests. I just play the guy that that plugs in injured players every. I mean, like, like that's what you're looking for. So just understand that in large field contests, you do get dumber opponents. But also the variance, the EV. You to realize that EV, it's going to come at like all at once, once a twice a year versus yep. in smaller field contests where you have more of a shot at coming in eighth and getting a nice you know seven x on your money or coming in fourth and getting a 25x on your mind. Like, you may see a lot more of those results, but you're going to have to work a lot harder at it because you're playing against... If, if you're going to do that not being a good DFS player, you're probably not going to even get those spots because you're just going to get crushed by so many other good lineups. Your, your lineup's going to be so poorly projected and so improperly leveraged that, you know, if you win, it's luck. If you Most likely, you're just going to bleed money over time. Yeah, and I think it's also like... Um, you know, like Alan Lem from Rudder Grinders wrote, like the mental, the mental side of things. There's also a, a really big mental aspect to, you know, it's all of DFS, obviously. But so like uh, opening, not, not not actual opening night, but first big slate. Uh, so what was that Wednesday or whatever it was of, of NBA this year? I had some, I had some tickets that I that I had won. So I multi entered. I think I played 10, 10 or twenty. I don't know. Anyway, um, shows you how much I pay attention when I play multiple teams. I don't even know how many I played, but like 20, I played like 20 teams or something in mo- like the smaller field stuff. Um, I also just wanted to have a little more fun on the first night. Let's let's, there were so many good plays. I'm like, I, I want to, I just, I want to have a little more fun. I don't want to be just, just all in on one lineup on, on the first night. So I played like 20. I think I cashed like, 14 of them or something like that. And like, you know, like this, the, the 20 max and like the mill where they had the milli or whatever it was on, on opening night. And I didn't catch any, anything. And like, even my, even my, now I didn't have my best teams in the higher stake stuff, but I didn't cash the higher stake stuff. I was like close, but like, it's, it's just goes to show, um, you know, if you can become a decent enough player, I'm not saying all my teams were like super plus EV, but if you can become a decent enough player, like I, I can stomach, you know, barely eking out a profit on a, on a night when I just played. Okay. But in the smaller field against those best players, there was no, there was no, there's no room for just being okay on a given night because everybody's going to be at least okay. You being okay against the best players in the world means you lose that night. So uh, you have to be so, so, but that creates, that should create a certain mindset you have to have to play in those contests. And it is, I approach every, we've talked about this too, right? You know, with a lot of the same concepts, we'll keep reiterating, but you have to go into every slate like, yep, more than willing to lose tonight, which sounds funny, right? Like I don't want to lose, but like I go in, same thing last night. Like, dude, I'm fading James Harden with a bunch of G League players around him. 
You know what I mean? Christian, Christian what, and those guys were on pace to play like 40 minutes. It got to halftime of that game. Like I had already lost, but I was just like, Jesus, I am going to finish in last. You know, like Harden's playing 20. Like these guys are going to play 40 something minutes in the second game of the season. I'm like, what is going on here? You know, but like you have to be willing. Like, I'm, like sometimes you're just, you just get wrong, right? Like get it wrong. You know, like, it, like I played John, he got hurt. So it was like easier to get over. You know, it's like, oh, I wasn't going to win because I had an injured guy, scored nine points or whatever. But like, you know, even if he played, I probably don't, I don't, I don't win anything, but it's like, you have to be okay with that. Like, and, and that can be mentally taxing because it's going to, ha- there's going to be stretches where it happens for weeks. <laughs> right. And especially <laughs> like, look, it's, it's to me, it's less mentally taxing in NBA and MLB because you're playing every day. So it's like, it's easy to get over like, okay, I sucked. Uh, you know, you know, I fucked up. And even if it's, you made mistakes and be like, I shouldn't have done that. But like yeah. you wake up in the morning and go up and do it's like, People have to treat DFS slates like poker hands. Like you just just play a lot of poker hands. Like no no one no poker player like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna shove all in get called up. I, it looks like I was wrong. Like you're gonna get a hand. You're gonna you're gonna get another hand. You you buy in for three hundred and you get another. I mean like and you're tracking your results over a season over a year, over four years. I mean, like, I don't even want to call it a year. Like a year is even an arbitrary period, right? And like, like five years is not even, I mean, like you could be profitable over five years and still not even be a good player. It could, it's, or you could be unprofitable and still be a great player. I mean, the variance in this is so massive that, that I find it easier to get over in the daily sports. Uh, mm-hmm. But you have to, the, the, the thing that you have to, uh, control against is the is the the downward spiral, the downward yep. spiral of like you lost two, three, four, five slates in a row, ten slates in a row, fifteen slates. People, people, I I got a DM the other day. I've lost three slates in a row. I, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I'm like Jesus Christ, three slates in a row. I've lost three weeks. Three in a, row. I've, in a daily sport. I've lost twenty one slates in a row playing GPPs. Mm-hmm. You lost 21 slates in a row playing cash games. Maybe, maybe you're not. Eh. The likelihood of you being a good cash player is a little bit lower. Uh, yeah. But in GPPs, 21 days in a row. I've done that before. Like, like that's that's normal. That's that's a normal thing to happen. Uh, but the downward spiral is, you know, it gets to that point where you're like, am I, am, is my process right? Am, and did the game pass me by? Did I not involve, like, am I doing something fundamentally wrong? And then the mis- a lot of times the mistake is changing. Like, it's kind of weird to say that, that you should always be looking at your process. You should always be studying good players, not winning lineups, good players. So to not change ever is obviously wrong. But if, if you're, if you're looking at your process and you're studying good players and you're doing similar things, that you've always done. If the sharper players are doing similar things that you're doing and you have a 21 day losing streak, like it's quite possible that you're not doing anything wrong at all. Like, and, and actually by actively changing, like you're actually hurting yourself. Now I'm not talking about the dumb shit that you hear from from fucking stupid people of like, well, I've lost four days in a row where I got to win the next day. I'm going to double down because I got to like that, that type of shit. Or, or, or the, or you, you always hear this. I can never get this guy right. Like that doesn't mean anything or, oh, auto X. I, I'm, he's on my never play again. Like those things are stupid. Like they, they don't matter. Like don't, I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about you've lost for three weeks straight and you're like, 
am I building too much leverage in my lineups? Am I am I am I fading too much? Am I fading too much chalk? Am I eating too much chalk? Am I but but I'm not thinking on a day-to-day basis of well, the chalk failed yesterday. It's going to fail again. I'm not going to play the chalk today. Oh, the chalk's failed three days in a row. Like, oh, oh, Josh Jackson's chalk. I'm not going to fall for that again. Like, you have to, it's just like a poker hand. The last poker hand has no bearing on what card's going to come up with this hand. Like, it's, it, don't, Josh Jackson didn't know he was chalk yesterday. Like, he didn't, he didn't know. And the guy that's going to be chalk tonight doesn't know that Josh Jackson was chalk yesterday. Like, there's no correlation to any of that, right? They're just like the five reds on a roulette wheel. They don't, it's still going to be the same percentage chance of becoming black or red. So like that's, I, I, I hope people that are listening and watching on YouTube, and if you're watching, hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel. Uh, I hope people that listen to this show at least are, are smarter people that don't fall into those gambler fallacies. But you can fall into the the fallacy of thinking that, that you, you could play plus EV lineups and still lose. And then you get to a certain point where you start questioning whether or not you're playing plus EV lineups and maybe... Maybe you're not doing anything wrong. And it is the hardest part is there's no way to really figure out. You know, Osimo posted and uh, maybe a month ago, two months ago on Twitter, like this guy's ever run bad. Like this guy just prints money. But he posted, how do you know uh, if you're playing bad or running bad? And like, I, you know, like. I'm sure I've thought about that, but until he posted it, I didn't like really think that deeply about it. And like, yeah, I, I you know, um, I don't like actively study my own lineups because like I know what they they were and I see the ownerships and all that kind of stuff. But if I am uh, having a, a bad stretch, I will think about those decisions. But it's also that like we're all human, and you do start to second guess yourselves, right? After a week, two weeks, three weeks of losing, whatever, like. You, you do start to like it's it's not the easiest thing ever to just put away all the emotional side of things right we're not fucking robots like you just saw a lot of money leave your account for uh extended stretch and every night you get excited at lock yep tonight's the night we're gonna turn it around and then four hours later nope zeros and you're you know currently winning whatever everybody goes through that and so there's no pro- and, and like there's no really easy way like you can study your lineups and study other good players lineups that's the best way to do it but there's still no like you said there's on any given slate like shit even last night's five game nba slate there's countless strategies that if you did them whether i did them or not they're probably good like we talked about how many of them you know on a five game nba slate uh like so think about tonight there's what however many games or an nfl slate with 13 games there's tons of different strategies so it's really difficult to understand like am i playing bad so i do need to adjust or am i running bad and you have to be able to do it with a very clean mind and a and a clean mindset um another awesome well an awesome site shout out uh, uh my buddy he's a, he's a he's a good friend and he's an asshole on twitter but he's a really sharp guy and um uh, adam share had tweeted not that long ago I, I know personally that he has gone through some ups and ups and downs and shared them on on twitter and um he has specifically like so this is in my opinion adam's like one of the best players that exists in dfs and he talks about he went through a prolonged losing stretch and he was like way over tweaking his process he was mmeing at the time 
you know, so playing 150 mats and he had started out really successful and then, you know, had small losing stretches and started tweaking things, tweaking, tweaking the way he made his projections, tweaking, you know, uh, how he did his exposures, tweaking how he did his correlations, tweaking all these little things day to day. And the next thing you know, two weeks later, you've tweaked so much shit. You don't even know. You don't even know what you have. You know, you don't even know what your process is because you're changing things to try to recover from your losses. And he's like, I finally just stopped and realized like, like, dude, like take a step back. You were just, you, you were fine. Maybe you needed a couple of small tweaks, but it's just the nature of the beast. You're just going to lose. So even the best players in the world, you know, can sometimes struggle, struggle to, to deal with that. And I do think, you know, NBA has started. So, uh, it's, it, it's easy to go on really down stretches in a daily sport and a daily sport like NBA, if you're playing the right way, because, you know, it's so easy to lose, right? The, the, like we talked about, the, the projections are so strong and there's less, you know, there's still a, a lot more variance than people think, but there's less variance um, on a night to night, you know, over a large sample in NBA. So you can go long stretches where you, you can be making great leverage plays and great tournament lineups and you're just getting buried, right? Because James Harden, you, you made that James Harden leverage point and it was a, it was a great plus EV lineup, but James Harden went for 85 and you lose, you know, or you fade Karis Levert. It's a really highly leveraged lineup. It's got great win equity. He goes for 60. Like, and you just lose, you know, and that can happen at night after night after night after night. And, you know, so I think it's important to just kind of, everybody goes through that, but like you have to be able to kind of manage that and go back to battle the next day and make the right decisions. Um, and that's definitely the hardest part, I think, of like the daily, the daily sports once you get kind of the core competencies down. Right. Well, that's why I, that's why I talk about when, when I get into those streaks and I'm re- refining my process, it's to me, it's more about simplification over complication. Like it's more about, am I, am I doing things too complicated? Most of the time, if it's very similar to poker where there, sometimes you want to bank a small win just for your mental sake, <laughs> right? It's like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit down. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to capture every small edge I possibly can at the table. I'm just going to sit, play good cards, play them aggressively, value bet, like the very simplest of poker, like a, not, not much deception, just whatever. And just like, okay, let me, and then start ramping up from there. Like once I, okay, yes, I got, I got paid off on that bet. I folded the right hand there, that type of stuff. So a lot of times in a daily sport, it will come down to today. I'm not going to play 60 lineups. I'm going to hand build. I'm going to play a higher stakes contest. I'm going to hand build three, right? I'm going to hand build Three for the you know a hundred dollar single entry, the forty dollar single entry, and maybe I play three lineups into the thirty three dollar or whatever the hell it is, and like that's I know it's a twelve game slate, I can make tons of lineups, but it's like no, I'm gonna focus on building three to five, and I'm gonna ha- I'm, I'm I'm still gonna do the same research process, still use the lineup optimizer and everything like that, but it's like I need to refi- what are the what are the five best strategies for these lineups? What what is what am I gonna and then ref- and then go from there. And maybe I min cash and maybe like, okay, I made him. I could, it's much more easy to see your process when it's simplified than when it's complicated. So I, I view it from that perspective. I've done that for showdowns the past uh, couple of weeks for NFL. Like instead of doing all this duplication processing and all that type of stuff and, and, you know, putting in 600 bucks, 800 bucks, and then getting back a hundred, 
Or like I had one slate, I did 3x. I didn't have the the nut lineup, but I had like the third nut lineup. But of course, the nut lineup duplicated, you know, 17 times. So like, right. it's not like you get paid much. Uh, and then like with NBA starting up and everything, it's like, dude, I don't want I I don't want to do that anymore. Like I I like I I I bled money in showdown. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to play three lineups in the 180, and that's it. And I'm just going to go. What's my direction? It's like I'm I'm taking. I'm going Diggs and the captain, Allen, and then Bat. I'm like, like I look at Slate IQ. I'm building a five-one lineup with a wide receiver one, and it's a twenty-one hundred entry contest. So now my duplicate. Okay, I don't have to the duplication processing. I don't have to. Mm-hmm. If it's duped three, four times, that's not the end of the world, right? I'm I, in the large field contest. I'd look at that lineup and go, "That's just going to be duped fifty times. I don't want to play it." And then I'm spending an hour doing that shit, right? But now it's like, okay, now I could just relax and go, well, I'm going to play Singletary in the captain spot. Well, that didn't work out. But, like, I played $600 worth of lineups in the last showdown. I got $605 back, right? <laughs> but it's like my pro- – I look at my lineups and, like, no, I was happy. No matter what happened, I was happy with my lineups. I, I, I simplified my process. I said, I don't have to – I'm going to go for this one outcome, and if the Patriots win the game, then fuck it. I lose. That, that's fine. But I'm not dealing with – well, I'm building five liners for this outcome, seven liners for that outcome. This I'm leveraging here. I'm doing that there. I'm like, like when you're doing so many things at once, like you're, not, you may not be sure that you're like you're, you're. If if any of your fundamental things from the beginning of each outcome process you're doing for each lineup is somehow flawed, you're now fucking up so many lineups doing that. Yeah. That if worst case scenario, I'm fucking up three lineups. They're like right. that's, and I could see it more clearly. I go, I studied players the next day, and I go, okay. They kind of built similarly. Okay. I, and then, then, then you start ramping up your complication in your process. So uh, I, I think, I think so many, so many DFS players, average ones, like they, they think even either they make it too complicated or they think it's too complicated. Like they, they're like, well, I just do this. And uh, should I be doing more? And like a lot of times you should be doing less. Actually, what you think is too little is actually not, it, 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 you should be doing less than that, even less than that. Yep. Right when people think it's nuts, yeah. where where they're like, well, so when do you start researching an NBA DFS late? They're like, what do you, what do you consider research? Like, I have projections, and I'm looking at news, and I may run some 300 lineups just to see some constructions and stuff. But it's like people are asking me, like, oh, so you're playing this at 11 in the morning? You're gonna be playing this guy? It's like, dude, I don't even know I'm playing till an hour before lock. I don't build fucking lineups yeah. until an hour before lock. Like, so what are you doing the rest of the day? It's like, well, I make a podcast, I go have lunch. I take a look at projections. I'm playing a soccer slate at one. And I mean, like I'm doing other shit. Like I like, like I want to simplify. I want to outsource the stuff that I'm not good at. Right. That's what the projections are for. And then I want to simplify my process as possible. It's like, okay, where am I getting leverage there? Done. Where am I? Who's under owned for their smash percentage done? Who is like, like I could start. And then, then it's like, okay, here's my pool of players. Who's negatively correlated to one another. Go into build rules, build my groups, this guy and this guy, not in the same lineup. If I'm going to play this guy, make sure to play the other guy on the other side. I'm, ma- I'm making 10, 20, 30 groups like that. And then once that's done, it's like, I got 60 lineups to make. Let's go to work. Right. And then by, by, then, then it's done. And then like, to me, that's the simplified process. Like if your process is, it's something where you have to look at stuff at noon for a 7 PM slate, like it's NBA DFS. Like, yeah. It's it's going to be there for you. It's it, you could get home from work at at six o'clock, sit down in a half an hour. If you're building five lineups, like you don't even have to. You're not you're not d- d- diversification. You're not dealing with all that that I have to deal with. 
If you build in three, five lineups, one lineup, like, dude, half, how much more time do you need? All the news that the news that happened at two, you don't have to know about it, too. You just have to know about it at 659. That That's all you have to, like, like the, you'll know at everything at that point anyway. And then the plan for the late swaps, all that type of stuff. It'll, it'll be there. You don't have to be glued to your phone all the time. After lock, you do. But before lock, it's like, <laughs> It's all going to be there. It's not. It's not running. The projections aren't running away from you, right? Oh, news happened. Oh, what? What should I be looking at? Court IQ. What should like, dude? Just just wait like five or ten minutes. The projections that you use will just be updated. Just wait. If you're using labs, like fucking Justin, will fucking have it done. Don't worry about it, right? That's right. what you're outsourcing for. If you're using your own model, sure, yeah, then you have to start doing a lot of that stuff. But a lot of people out there, they they subscribe to you know, other people's models. Like it'll be taken, it'll be taken care of already. Don't fucking stress out. People stress out also, too much. You're also like, we talked about like the mental side of things and, and managing, especially a daily sport like this, like I, as much as anyone, I love to like, look at NBA stuff and look at, you know, DFS, NBA DFS slates. I, I just love breaking it down and analyzing it, but you will burn the fuck out so fast if you're grinding these nba slates and studying them all day every day because they are literally every day for months you know and we have others like if you like to play other sports you know or if you're maybe you're sports betting right you're in a legal state or illegal state and you're betting on you're betting on sports and your mind is just wrapped up in all this shit for 24 hours a day you're gonna break down eventually so like what i like to do you know, and I grind it probably harder than than other people do because I just I just like like tinkering around and looking at different things. But like you know, I'll, I'll do like you do and put a dummy in place. And then like when I get downtime throughout the day, or like if I see news, right? So like while we're there was some news while we were here recording this this podcast. And when we're done, I'll kind of go take a look, right? And look at how minutes break down based on someone sitting and. Just take a few minutes and then tinker around, right? Maybe look at ownership. Maybe ownership has updated. Just kind of see. And, but like just soak things in throughout the day. Maybe tinker around here or there. Oh, okay, I can do this. you know. And then you just store that in the back of your mind, right? Like, oh, so-and-so's out, so I can make that swap. And you know, now maybe let's look at ownership. And just kind of like, like I kind of like, you know, freelance it a little bit, just kind of throughout the day. And then, like I said, you know, we get an hour before lock or half hour before lock or well, whatever your time frame is, you know, I don't need that much time with one team. Um, uh, <laughs> I do have to, re- I saw you tweet about it, but registering for contests, goddamn, playing cash games and stuff. Like that's what'll stop me from playing cash games is having to register all these, go- all these goddamn. I'm contests. playing on three sites now. Jesus Christ. Cause I, <laughs> cause I, I, I'm all, I also do it to myself because like, DK, I'm, I'm like restricted. FanDuel, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't play that much. I've never played that much volume on there. So like, right. So like to me, it, I, I'm so much of an EV knit that like, well, why am I playing the five dollar fifty fifties when I could play the two and one dollar fifty fifties that I know. all the experienced I, players are at? But of course, I'm trying to get like eight hundred, eight hundred to a thousand dollars of volume there. So you know how many one dollar and two? I have to wait for them to respawn. I have to yeah. go to head to heads. I mean, like, just every time I take a shit, I'm like, okay, I guess I'm spending the next three minutes going this contest, that contest, this contest, this contest, that contest. Like every time I take a break, I gotta. 
Because, yes, I could do the $10 and $25 double ups and all that type of stuff and get $800 worth of volume, but I want to play against the weakest opponents. Like, I, I, I'm an EV knit. I, I'm, there's no reason I, not to. I always find that I, so yes, it's so brutal to enter the contest, especially on FanDuel. Cause you have to click, mul- you know, you have to go to like multiple screens. Like, like you said, you're, you're, you're sitting on the shitter and you're going through and doing one dollar, okay, one dollar fifty fifty, two dollar fifty fifty, whatever. Like by the end, I, I run out of patience and I do. I'm like, fuck this, twenty five dollar, fifty dollar, hundred dollar, whatever. Cause I'm like, I can't keep, click- like, I can't do this anymore. So like, I end up like, yeah, losing out on tons of EV because I'm, w- I'm way too impatient entering these contests. So that's what, more than losing money, I can start losing every day in cash games on FanDuel more than losing money. That will be what puts an end to me playing, playing cash games is having to register contest for a fucking hour. Every single day, <laughs> an hour. It's like five I'm minutes exactly. every hour, every, every hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause then you're also thinking then, in the back of your mind, it's like, well, if I'm planning on allocating $800 of, of volume, should I be, should I be regging like pre night? I want to reg as close to lock as possible. So it's yeah. like, so now I have 600 in volume, but I'm leaving 200 left for the last like hour and a half. So now I have to plan my day. I have to plan my day around it, right? I have to like- <laughs> Which is even worse. That's even worse than it being time consuming is that it restricts you from doing other shit. Right, like after this after this show, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go, go. I got I, I missed so many 100 mans on 100 man 50-50s on FanDuel. I'm going to have to start making it up for today's, <laughs> right? I'm I'm way behind on volume. I have to go to Yahoo now. At least on Yahoo on the desktop, you could bulk enter. So you can start using yeah. those checkboxes. DraftKings, DraftKings doesn't post as many. I can be more selective. Yeah. I'm trying to spread out as much as, I mean, like, like I have a set amount. I mean, that's the whole point of my spreadsheet. It's like I'm playing 10, around 10%, and that's what it, so I have to strategize of how I'm going to allocate that. Rather than oh I, I could I could I could just play a two thousand dollar head to head like that's that's not a way to diversify your <laughs> your 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 exposure to your risk so no I right. want to spread out as much as possible so so uh, so for, for for this podcast I know people are like well we didn't talk about fucking football because maybe maybe oh, yeah. maybe just maybe we're just fucking sick of football <laughs> <laughs> dude we're sixteen we're sixteen weeks in like. It, it, it hasn't been that. I know you know you had a. a it had nice no. It. A, it a good... I'm. I, I, just, I'll, I'll let you talk in a second. I know people always yeah. like. I don't. I never let you talk. Uh, next week I'm going to talk. Uh, since it's going to be the new year, I'm going. Mm-hmm. I always transparently show my results. So I'm going to talk a lot about that next week. And you could also, although it's not. It's not. It's not required. Yeah. Uh, that feels like a bad NFL season for me, even though I was profitable because I mean, essentially if it wasn't for that one bank, it would be an awful season. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how, like, I didn't have that. I had a couple of weeks. I actually don't think I was thinking about that this morning too, was like last year, I had my best NFL season ever, but it was really two weeks. I, I won GPPs in two weeks. And then the third week was like, close but it was one of it was the stupid week they run like the thousand dollar millie maker and then they don't have any of the other high stakes contests so i got like eighth in that but you know like in a normal week that would have like shipped everything anyway i shouldn't be complaining you're still tilting over that i'm still fucking tilting over that that's like best that's multiple six figures of ev i lost because DraftKings is no 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 multiple dollars you lost you that you didn't lose any sklansky bucks like that's the whole point right you lost actual money Yes. Yeah. Real. 
yeah, real money because DraftKings is assholes every like few weeks of the year. Their contests suck. Anyway, I'm not I sh- I, like I said, shouldn't shouldn't complain. But yes, I'm still tilting that. But I, I was thinking back, and it's like you know, you, you just remember like when you run good, you're like, oh yeah, it's such an awesome season last year. Oh, I must have played so much better. And I look back and like I had this year probably the same amount of weeks where I was live. Like I had sweats and I was live to take something down three or four. Like I played really, you know, I, I, it, I, I played well for the majority of the year, I think with some mistakes. And then I had a couple of live weeks, but it just didn't, you know, sometimes that last touchdown doesn't bounce your way and you finish fifth, right? Which is a great, it's a great week, like, oh, $5,000 or whatever. That's, that's great. But compare that to the year before when the ball does bounce your way. $200,000, you know, that's a big freaking swing, but you really didn't play any different. And so I was thinking about that this, this morning. Cause I was like, man, it's been a kind of a shitty NFL season. I'm so ready for it to be, for it to be over. And NBA has been exciting that it's back, but I do think taking a step back, kind of some of the stuff we're, we're talking about, it's difficult to see the difference between when you're running bad and playing bad. But I was looking at it a little deeper this morning. And it's just funny when you think maybe you're playing worse than you are, but really you just didn't quite get, you know, if a ball was like in week two, I was like, you had my best week this year. If, if a ball bounces a different way and I win 250,000, I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not like sitting here saying, Oh, what a shitty NFL season. No, I'm saying, you know, what an awesome NFL season, but you know, just those little, those little things that are such a big difference that the human brain sometimes uh, convinces you, you know, uh, things that aren't true. So if you have any questions for either of us, the, the, the questions email is always open. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. There are still some in the queue. I know some people sending questions like like some some of them three or four weeks back that are, are more, more likely to be covered in depth versus a response like we can't fit it in. It's the type of thing that we could talk about an hour on. So don't worry. I see them. Feel free to send in your questions. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. Feel free to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and uh, and as and get the the theory of daily fantasy sports course, the fifteen hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. Uh, so I, well, we've been talking a lot about NBA coming weeks and whatever. I mean, it's DFS, so maybe maybe it's something interesting happened in MMA. Maybe it's PGA. Maybe it's it's strategy in general. So uh, so Eric at Eric Bimefour on Twitter. I'm Jordan Cooper at Blenderhead, BlenderHD on Twitter. This has been another episode of the Theory of DFS Podcast.